I'm happy to open this meeting, but truly the person who gets the, the credit for all of this is Representative Shauna Bolick, who has been working with the True the Vote people to bring them here so that they can explain what they have. Thank you, Shauna. And also, every single uh, member in this room, can you please stand, uh, elected officials here at the, at the Senate and the House, please stand. Thank you to all of you. This has been a team effort. This has been a, an amazing time to work with all of you um, and, and all the effort that's gone into this. And all of the patriots out here who have pressed their feet to the fire, thank you for you and your efforts. You deserve the credit the most. Thank you for being here. And I see Congresswoman Lesko up here up front. Any other elected officials in the room that we didn't have stand up? Sheriff Lamb. Sheriff Lamb. Thank you, Sheriff. <laughs> All right. So let's get going. I know you guys have been waiting quite a long time. So it feels like the air conditioning is starting to work. So I'm going to hand this over to Representative Shauna Bullock. And then, Shauna, if you can have everyone um, introduce themselves and then we'll get going. Awesome. So I'm going to have Representative Wynn start. Uh, Representative Kwong Wynn, Legislative District 1. Rep <laughs> Representative Tim Dunn, uh, Legislative District 13, from Yuma to Wickenburg. Representative, Representative Walt Blackman, Legislative District 6. Representative Shauna Bullock, uh, Phoenix Glendale, Peoria, District 20. Senator Kelly Townsend, District 16. Excuse me, Senator Kelly Townsend, District 16. District 15. It wasn't on there? Yeah, it wasn't on. District 13. So, try again, Senator Bartow. Let's try this. Is it on now? Yep. There you go. Okay, there. Senator Nancy Bartow, District 15. Thank you for being here. Senator Sina Kerr, District 13. We're missing Senator Rick Gray, um, so hopefully he'll join us soon. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining us this afternoon. It is our pleasure to host True the Vote for their informational hearing. you so much for all the work that you have done for the past decade or so on this particular issue. Uh, it was our pleasure to meet with some of you guys back in December, and obviously whenever you're here recently, whenever you were hopefully filing some uh, data points with some of the law enforcement, we are going to make sure that we have a very tightly run meeting. For those of you who have been in one of my Ways and Means committees, um, I will use the gavel. 
Uh, if you guys are out of line, we will potentially give you a warning and, and throw you out. Uh, we have guests before us who are testifying and we need to make sure that they're getting their point across. Unfortunately, I can't see half the room because of this big screen. So uh, hopefully Senator Townsend can keep an eye on the other side of the room. But the point of this hearing, it's an informational hearing. Uh, we wanna receive the data that you guys all have so we can hopefully secure our elections across the entire state of Arizona. And we really appreciate that you guys made the time to come back. So we're going to turn it over to you all so you can start. Before we so do, before we do, we had the Sergeant at Arms ask for an announcement as well. That's all right. Sure. Okay. So uh, apparently the, the clapping is causing interference with the system. So if you've been in our committee over here at the Senate side, uh, you, you know that we do jazz hands. So if you want to clap, do the jazz hands. I know it's silly, but you can see each other that you all are in agreement and that will prevent that interruption. And so also no shouting or, you know, if you have something that causes you displeasure, please keep it quiet so we don't have the interference. Right. And then if you want to go sit down in hearing room three, you have to exit and go around and you can see another big TV and watch it there. Uh, we love you to be in here if you want to, but if you'd like to, you can go and sit down in that room. You're okay with them standing? Okay. You're okay to stand if you want to stay and stand. But yes, more comfortable over there, cooler, but you're welcome to stay here. See? All right. Thank you. Um... Shauna, and thank you for everybody that's that's come uh, today. Thank you for all of you. Um, this is America, and this is what this uh, this is this is. I'm overwhelmed by the just the the support, and thank you all. My name is Catherine Engelbrecht. Uh, I am the the founder and president of True the Vote, and. Um, Today we are going to walk you through what we uh, what we what we worked through in in Arizona, and I hope that uh, the way that we present this is very heartfelt, and so I hope that um, it it resonates. And and to my right is Greg Phillips, who managed the the data and research, and will be able to go into that in great detail as well. So, Greg, you want to just introduce yourself? As Catherine said. Um, uh, just coming in here, I mean, if we had to leave right now, I'd feel like we had a success just being with all of y'all. So we appreciate it so much and uh, look forward to sharing a little bit of information with you in hopes that um, maybe we can um, shed enough light on on some of the challenges that we believe you face with, um, with the drop boxes and beyond in order that um, possibly your debate might be better well-informed. So we'll start by going all the way back to October, late October of 2020. Uh, we had started a, uh, an election integrity hotline in September, and we phones were ringing off the walls. We were getting tens of thousands of calls from people that were everything from, from confused about the process. And we all remember how in 2020 there were so many process changes. Uh, there were so many laws that were being changed uh, by, by fiat, by lawsuit. Um, there was the push towards the mass mail out of ballots. Uh, this was causing a great, a, a great, uh, great level of confusion. And so, in this in this hotline period, um, we received an awful lot of calls. One of those calls that came in was from uh, a gentleman who lives in Yuma County, Arizona, and he said, "I have 
been watching my community slip away for 22 years. And I've tried to get people to listen and it doesn't seem like anything ever changes. And so we committed to him that we would listen. And it was shortly thereafter that Greg and his team went down and met for the first time uh, with, uh, with some individuals, um, some of which are gonna be featured uh, here in, in the presentation today. Um, and we thought about how to start this presentation and, and kind of came to the conclusion that maybe the best way to start is to let you hear from one of your fellow citizens and her opinion of what's really going on. Whoever's phone is going off, could you turn that off, please? Awesome. Thanks. I really want you guys to hear this. I mean, it, this is... The woman that you're going to hear speaking, um, first time I met her, and it was it's it's just left such a such a such a burden on my heart, because at the conclusion of our time together, she just sat back in the chair and 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 just stuck her finger in the air and she said, "Round and round and round it goes." And so, these are her words. If you work for the city or if you work for the, the school board, because we have the And so with that as a backdrop, we, we began to go deeper and deeper into a story that uh, had held uh, in its grips Yuma County and others across the, across the state of, of Arizona that um, had some common denominators. Uh, there were nonprofit organizations involved. There were people that we 
that we began to refer to as, as you all now know as mules, people that are running balance. And we resolved to, to try to find a path that we could measure, that we could use in a way that could be useful for law enforcement to, to uncover the exploitation of process, if in fact there was exploitation. And I think it's really important to um, remember that when we started this, uh, what, we, what we thought was that if in fact there was going to be a subversion of process, it seemed that it would likely occur at drop boxes because they were not being well regulated. And, and in many places, they had just suddenly appeared on the landscape. They were, they were not uh, in, in near the procedural um, order that mailboxes were. There was so much confusion going through the, the communities around COVID and so forth. So we thought if, in fact, there was going to be subversion of process, we believed it would be it would be showing up in the drop boxes. And we believed that if if we could prove it, um, this would be something to. This would be something to really focus on. And so we. We resolved then to look at the ways to prove this, and we went towards uh, a data set that, um, that would ultimately lead us to this sort of calculus. So organized ballot trafficking, uh, we, we expanded this, this project across five jurisdictions, uh, Georgia, but the greater, the greater Atlanta area, Arizona, the greater Phoenix area, um, Michigan in Wayne County, which is Detroit, uh, Wisconsin, in Milwaukee County and Pennsylvania in Philadelphia County. And we felt like the, the, the appropriate hypothesis would go something like this based on not just the reports that we had had from Arizona, but from others across the country, starting with inaccurate voter rolls. And I wanna tell you guys, that is the gateway to all problems. You must have accurate rolls. And that's a, a broader conversation for a different day, but in, in Suffice to say, nationally, our roles are a big problem. So the accuracy or the inaccuracy, as it were, of those roles only feeds problems with mass mail-out ballots. And I'm certain that most people in this room during the 2020 election were very well aware that people were getting more than one ballot, people were not getting ballots. There was an awful lot of confusion about this mass mail-out that was fueled by inaccurate roles. Then enter the NGOs. And what we learned here in Arizona was the, the functionality of those NGOs was to receive these ballots. And I know we couldn't really hear the video as well as we would have liked, but in it, she talks about the fact that it's required in certain communities to submit your ballots open and that that's an expectation. The, those NGOs then used the drop boxes, as again, you will, you will hear throughout the presentation, um, in a way that we felt uh, could be measured for exploitation. Um, and, and underneath it all, of course, of course, is money, which is the, the fuel that keeps, uh, keeps this grift in play. But then the question became, of course, how, how then can we, can we isolate these elements well enough to measure whether or not drop boxes were being exploited, whether or not NGOs were involved. So we decided to, to really go all in on a methodology that involves the use of, of ad data 
that is resident in all of your phones. And so um, if you would take your phone, and this is going to work on most everybody's phone, type this in star pound zero six pound and up will come series of numbers. Those are ad keys broadly. And oh, let me let me explain that. Yeah, sorry. Let me explain it a little bit better. Do it like you're going to make a phone call. So star pound zero six pound and then the green button. Now you with me? So those numbers are. So, yeah, it doesn't always work on every phone in that way. But rest assured, these numbers are deeply embedded in your phone. They are attached to your apps, and this is how. This is how marketing campaigns often work. I'm sure you've all had experiences where you pull into a store and you get a text that there's a certain coupon for or a discount for 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 something that you have, that you have just pulled into the parking lot to to pick up. Um, this is how law enforcement uh, isolates criminals and witnesses in in important cases. Uh, this is how this this is how digital DNA is captured. Maybe a better way to explain this is really what, frankly, what the uh, the New York Times did. They put together a series of articles back in 2019, and I'm going to switch this around and try to show you. Give me one second, guys. Show you how they put this together. So they put together a, a, a multi-part series that is very helpful in understanding how this data works. And uh, I'm going to pitch it over to Greg to begin to explain how the data came into play. The New York Times did a seven-part story that included, um, as Catherine said, a, a very uh, clear graphical um, representation of the way that we do our work and the way that this type of work is done. Uh, it should be noted for um, any haters that are in the media that we use multiple types of information, and this is one example. So don't, don't tell me it's a map from Moscow or whatever. <laughs> and by the way, Moscow Mules is funny, whether you think it's or not, it is or not. <laughs> so, so someone gave the New York Times um, 50 billion cell phone signals and those signals are stamped with latitude longitude uh, you can even get altitude off of them depending on what you're trying to accomplish and different aggregators of this data do different things and so it's not you might read that that there um, or that we are looking at cell phone signals for example and triangulating around different cell phone towers uh, this is not that, and and we're we're probably not going to answer that question much anymore. Um, so what they did was they took it and they took all these signals and they mapped them. Um, and Catherine, if you'll roll through a little bit, you'll you'll see that these are in different places. Uh, this is Santa Monica, um, and so the the each signal uh, has the different latitude, longitude. Actually, if you go slow, it'll come up. But they're Pentagon, obviously. Um, we'll, we'll send you this uh, this link so you can actually see what's going on with it. I'm gonna go. Yeah, 
we're going to we're going to scroll down. That's Mar-a-Lago. And in the next article, they actually track President Trump going from Mar-a-Lago to play golf and then back again and claim and claim that it's accurate down to where his Secret Service people are. But yet they can't seem to find a way to understand that that tracking these crimes is um, is appropriate in this way. So the other key thing that that we gain from this is a timestamp. And by evaluating these in aggregate, it allows us to to link the who to the when to the where, and then put those signals in some sort of order and map them. It's basically, a, it's, it's math. Um, Catherine, if you'll roll through slowly. This is a really good example. This is Central Park. And imagine we were trying to identify someone or something, a unique device ID that is near a particular incident that happened in Central Park. So we would go through a series of calculations, algorithms, um, and changes to come up with that stuff and come up with that one person. So that signal's telling us all sorts of things. That star pound, zero, six pound, uh, those are but a few of the um, device IDs and unique device IDs that, that you'll see in, um, in your phone or that you may not see in your phone. There's also something called a MAID, M-A-I-D, um, the MAID gives a whole new plethora of information and potentially we have the ability to gather, depending on the origin of the signal or the, from whom we buy the signal, uh, we can tell what websites are on, we can tell who they're, who they're communicating with, um, and we can tell other um, interesting tidbits about this person's life, and here's how we do it. So once we have that, then we can go back through, where else has this person been? in New York. Remember, this is all the New York Times signals, the same people who said this is impossible. And once you stop right there, and then once you get here and we've linked all of these signals together and we've linked their locations together, their times together, we can then build what we call a pattern of life. And as that pattern of life emerges, so then we can track that individual or track that unique device ID. And boom, there you go. That's how we do what we do. Uh, that's one of the ways. So, so this technology is um, is uh, common for um, Sheriff Lamb and some of the work that they do. It's common with Craig Sawyer and some of the work he does. And having the ability to do this and do this at scale is extremely difficult. They had 50 billion pings or signals. We had 10 trillion signals. So, so, so scaling all of this was, was super important. We also recognized uh, because we've been around for a while that, that the haters would ultimately come out. And so um, we established several different, um, locations from which we were doing doing our um, our research that, that proved to be providential the day that the movie was released mississippi state university because they received some uh, banging around from the ap uh in open records wondering what we were doing in our office there canceled our lease it, it's all right though they, they fell into our trap <laughs> we, we 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 weren't we weren't doing this work there um, 
we were we were uh, storing some data there, but we weren't doing the actual analysis, and they canceled us for no reason. The conceptually, this this then is I think a little bit easier to understand. Um, we geofence, if you will, around drop boxes. We geofence around known um, or any uh, the places we've been advised that might might be uh, trafficking ballots, like nonprofits and the like. And then we build the patterns of life around these people. And we, as we begin to aggregate it, we start skinning it down. Uh, we had millions of unique devices. And as we began to skinny it down in Maricopa and in Yuma County, uh, in particular, uh, you begin to see where and when a, an individual device intersects with the fence around that box. One of the most important things to understand is the difference between accuracy and precision. I've not seen one article from anyone that adequately or properly defines it, but it's an important distinction. Accuracy in this instance really is the accuracy of the actual signal itself. Like how, how likely is it that from, from a risk perspective that any one individual signal is, is, you know, off the mark a little bit. There's been a lot of noise out there that you can only get within 40 feet or some, it is, you know, it's just, it's just crazy. Um, so what, what we did was we, we, or what we do is we take three different types of signals and we buy them from different, different brokers that catalog them from different devices, but yet still stamped with the when and the where the, the when the when to the where, and then we identify the individual, the individual device ID to the who. And that gives us on an individual basis the ability to make a decision. Is this um, ping accurate? How close is how close is this? my phone here or is it here? The the differential or the the methods in which we smooth that out or we tease that out are proprietary. But they are incredibly accurate. The United States government, the United States military can measure down to within two centimeters. So, so the very idea that, you know, you, I think somebody wrote the New York times or someone wrote, well, you can tell that they're walking down the street, but you can't see which side of the street they're on. Utter nonsense. It's complete nonsense. They're asking the wrong questions. Uh, they're asking the wrong people. Uh, and they're, um, these articles are being written by, by journalistic terrorists. So repeat that last line. Yeah, the 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 articles are being written by journalistic terrorists, of which I think there's probably one or two in this room. I just want to make sure everybody heard that. Um, this quote that's up on the screen here, and I don't I don't have my glasses on, so so I'm gonna let Catherine read it. Go. You want to pull that to you? So this is, um, we, we, came, we became very familiar with this court case. This was heard at the Supreme Court, um, and this was the uh, majority opinion uh, written by Chief Justice Roberts. And the case was Carpenter v. U.S., and it, and it was taking a look at uh, privacy issues around the use of this type of data. 
And in that case, they, they very um, clearly defined what citizens and, and the sort of a civilian use of this type of data can be and what government and law enforcement can, can use relative to this data. And, and so we use that as a guideline because we wanted to make sure that but we were so tried to be so conscientious about um, creating a, 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 a data set that would be useful for law enforcement, but that wouldn't cross over any lines because there's so much that's available. We, we wanted to make sure that we were properly composing everything. But this is a this is a. An important quote, and, and Greg, since you don't have your glasses, I'll read it to you. Um, uh, when the government tracks the location of a cell it's phone... It's really a trick. I can read it. She just... <laughs> when the government tracks the location of a cell phone, it achieves near-perfect surveillance, as if it had attached an ankle monitor to the phone's user. Now, look, we, we also, just as a, as a practical matter, I understand that's a pretty creepy thought. But, friends, it's happening... It's happening on all of our phones, which are attached to us at almost all times. And so our choice to use commercially available data to point out the exploitation of a certain element of our electoral process um, was, was done and done in a way that law enforcement can use it, that respects the privacy of all parties involved. But it was the way to prove that election fraud is real. And for that reason, this data was a critical element. I w and, and frankly, when we started the project, we had no, we didn't know. I mean, maybe we would have done this and found nothing. And you know, that had been okay. Check that box. There, there was no exploitation. But as many of you, I'm sure, have heard, we, we began to, to think through what is a, what is a realistic expectation or a realistic um, threshold for, for when going to a Dropbox too many times is really too many times. Is it, is it twice? Is it three times? Is it four times? Is it five times? Because we wanted to focus on a very clear, narrow data set that showed what we would consider sort of this extreme outlier behavior. And ultimately, we settled on 10 times. The, the devices that we focused in on went to drop boxes 10 or more times. And here in Arizona, they went an average of 21 times. The, the importance of this is when you think about data like a, think about it like a bell curve, right? Our, most of our lives are really like a bell curve. If you think about the, the, the preponderance of the population coming right in that, that sweet spot, that heart of the curve, we're talking about an outlier group on the far right of the scale. There's, there's no other explanation, and we can get into the statistical probabilities around why this is true. We can get into the quality control around why we know what we did is accurate, and we are glad to do that in any level of depth. But suffice for this purpose and for this time to say, the outlier population set, the outlier set was so extreme that it, it warrants very serious consideration. And it's one of the things that we hope that this body before us will take into consideration. So here's what the Arizona data set looked like. 
we had over a trillion mobile device signals. And Greg, you want to describe what a signal or a ping is? Yeah, the the your phone, uh, those numbers or those um, uh, when you pulled up those numbers earlier, and depending on what you're doing on your phone, it sends different signals for different things. Like if you occasionally you might be out and you get an amber alert or something like that, how do they get it to your phone? Well, that's how they get it to your phone. What's interesting about this situation is that once we know a device ID, um, we not only can track that device ID. Um, but we can communicate with that device and, and it's for the same reason, the, the, just like if you're in Spain and, and you're out for a walk on the Camino de Santiago and, and Catherine calls you and says, where are you? Um, and it finds you out on the Camino and that's how it finds you. It, it, the, 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 the web of signals are so significant. And your phone is sending regular pings to say, hey, here I am. I'm, you know, I'm in Leon or whatever, uh, is how, how all that comes together. So the import of the number of these pings, it, it, it can't be overstated how important it is to not do what the New York Times did, to not just say we've got 50 billion pings and we're going to make all these assumptions that, that, President Trump is happens to be driving from here to here. My guess is they did exactly what the Department of Justice did to the January 6th um, uh, participants, and that was get Google data only. The challenge with getting Google data only, and I think there are, the court has acknowledged, I think, close to 50 people that are in jails to, to this day because of this. Um, but the, the import of having multiple signals from which to operate and then their origin coming from multiple places, whether it be your app or whether it be just a phone signal that's sending out, hey, here I am, um, could be a different set of signals from Wi-Fi or from Bluetooth or um, somebody was telling me earlier that they, they found it. They found one of their ear pods that they had lost in a restaurant and they didn't find it until they came back to the same restaurant like a week or a a week or so later, and that was from a Bluetooth signal that was being sent. And so there are all sorts of different signals that are aggregated out there, bringing them together and then um, cleansing them in such a way that you do tease out these outliers. And we are able to assure you that that we're not including false positives. You know, there's 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 an inordinate amount of time is spent by my team living to my commitment to Catherine that you can't be wrong. And so we take people out. We started, in fact, once we got to the bottom of the pile, we ended up with 279. And as we went through every single one of them, um, I think 30 or so of them in Atlanta, for example, uh, we had to kick out 40 here in, in Phoenix um, because there, there wasn't enough uh, cohesion between the signals. And as our algorithms began to, um, try to satisfy the the challenges that it was facing and trying to marry them up rather than just, ah, that one looks close enough. Let's go with it. We kicked it out. Yeah. So that's how we got down to the numbers that we, that we got down to the biggest challenge. Catherine, you want to move to the next one? Well, yes. Oh, you're gonna have to do all these. Um, go ahead. 
What's up, ladies and gentlemen? It's Mr. C from The Sea Report, and I'm stopping in for just a sec to encourage you guys to head over to thecereport.com. At thecereport.com, you can get more information on The Sea Report, check out episode resources, follow our blog and get new articles every week, join our mailing list, and stay abreast on the latest news and information. That's right, head on over to thecereport.com. That's www.thecereport.com. And be sure to follow us on our social medias Truth Social, Rumble, Twitch, CloutHub, and Hill.net. So, so this is a look at what we what we ultimately resolved here in Arizona. And I want to make one other point about how we started in the process, because there's much being said now, again, going back to Greg's point on accuracy. Uh, but there's there's this lingering number when we when, when we first started with uh, the presentation of this data to law enforcement, it was in in early 2021. And we, we really thought that if we provided what we believe to be a predicate for investigation early in the process, that law enforcement with the resources that are available to them would be able to refine that data set and do what was necessary to, to move it forward. In no way was our work done, but it is unfortunately where some of the holdovers that you now may read in the press uh, suggest that we only got to 100 feet within 100 feet of a drop box. And we're going to talk about that here in a bit. But think about it like a funnel. You start at the top and you begin to, as you saw the number of devices that we first began to look at, how many went and, 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 and the, the dynamic is, and I'm not sure that we explain this yet, but the dynamic exists between the phones and the drop boxes by way of a what's called a geofence. And so we put a geofence around the drop boxes, which is like a, a, a digital um, coordinate set. And then we measured how many times an, an individual device went through that fence. Again, remembering that we kept our thresholds very high. And then the proximity of those devices to the drop boxes became tighter and tighter and tighter and tighter over time. And if I could just add that we use that data to exclude, not to include. So if, if let's say the drop box is that podium there and, and I'm here and it might take me, you know, three seconds to walk over there and then walk back, it, even though we can measure inertia and we can measure movement inside of those pings based on how close they are together. Um, if, if for some reason there's not a signal while you're in the box, then that person with that visit would be excluded. So we don't use it to include, we use it to exclude. And that's key to the establishment of the rest of that equation I mentioned equation I mentioned a moment ago. And that was the difference between accuracy of an individual ping and precision in a set of pings. So precision would refer more to to how they operate together, how they look together. Some that might be teased out because they don't have the adequate information. Maybe we replace it with another one of the three data sets and we push all this together into a into a a, a formula or a a, a um, calculation that is designed to exclude to ensure that we don't include false positives but it also helps us in not excluding 
false negatives. So we don't want to include anyone you shouldn't be. And we do want to include, and we did that for every single visit for every single one of these. And if it excluded, then it excluded, then we just didn't count it. Um, one of the, the, the fallacies in, in people evaluating and fact checking the movie, um, you know, really centered around a, a couple of videos that were up there of people sh shoving a whole bunch of, um, of uh, ballots in. Interestingly, um, only one of those people actually was a mule because they didn't meet the standard of having to get inside 10 times and, and go to one of the, one of the orgs five times. So by, by keeping this um, framework around exclusion rather than inclusion, um, it allowed us to develop a, a, a far more, um, 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 accurate st statistical profile of each mules uh, of each of the mules overall, but also of each of the individual visits by each of the mules, which which I think here we've got uh, in Maricopa, we had um, just with the 202 mules that we identified two four four thousand two hundred and forty two times. So to get included in that, they had to have met our criteria for inclusion. It's not that they came close. Like I, I think one of your reporters here said, well, they could just be driving by on the street. Well, no, they can't. That's dumb. Um, <laughs> and in Yuma, I think the number of visits uh, for the uh, 41 devices we identified was 1,435. So I think the total of that somehow you know comes up to 5700 visits that met our criteria but remember even if that was true they also had to have gone to the organizations a a a, a set number four, of times four here in, in arizona yeah so they had to go go to the orgs a set number of times as well another another uh, key point that that we want to stress here is that you see that the data set timeline extends by about a week uh, before and after the study period, which was the period when, when early elections started here in Arizona. And the reason that we did that was to determine whether or not the patterns of life were consistent pre-election and post-election. So if you're driving by and it's your normal routine, one of the indicators uh, for us would be that, you know, it, it's, this is your normal, this is your normal path. Maybe you drive by 21 drop boxes a day. Maybe that's what you do. But in, in, I, I think I, I, I want to say this and we don't have the, I believe this is accurate. Not a single mule fell off of the list based upon that quality control check because the patterns of life were so unique during the election period, um, that, that, uh, it, it, the data bore out. Um, I think we've addressed this a little bit, uh, but let's go back into it quickly because it seems to be a repeated theme in um, some of the more recent uh, newspaper articles. How accurate is geospatial data? Uh, the, the distance broadly is about a meter standard, which is about 39 inches. But as Greg has already said, you can get down to two centimeters using standard error correction techniques and post-processing. So that is a part of the quality control that goes into all of this. Um, we all have apps on our phones that allow for, you know, uh, 
Uber to find us, that allow for uh, Grubhub to find our house, that all of these things are, are in this same vein um, of the GPS piece. But when you begin to introduce, as Greg mentioned, other, other data sets, you can get incredibly accurate data. Time. Typical GPS time transfer is about 30 nanoseconds. So your phone is constantly updating, which means that the timestamps are accurate. And then pattern recognition. Um, there are all kinds of analyses, one broadly referred to as random walk analysis, that concludes it's almost impossible to have a random route that approaches more than three similar locations. This is important because you, you want to test the, the likelihood that it could just be chance that they're that these devices continue to go down these routes. So this is a sample pattern of life for one device in Yuma County. From October 7th to November 3rd, this device went to 77 unique drop boxes. And you can see in the lower right where those locations were. What's also interesting about Yuma County in this instance is the orgs themselves. Uh, one of them has been uh, in the news here lately for having a little bit of a dust up with the attorney general's investigators. Um, but there are others there that are very unique in terms of their um, import and, and um, decisioning to us. Um, actually up in out, outside of uh, San Luis, up in Yuma, Yuma proper, uh, there's a location where 71 times there were three or more of our mules in that building at the same time, 71. And so you, you learn a lot from the, the development of these, these patterns of life. But I think the most important thing that, that I'd like to say, and, and, and Sheriff Lamb, thank you for, for coming, and, and we look forward to working with you guys on, on correcting this. By far, the biggest challenge that we have, by far, is once we get to this point, and you see what you see up on the screen there, and we have that unique device ID, we have all of the stamps on when they went, where they went, what happens? Going back to that Supreme Court case that Catherine mentioned a few moments ago, it's, it's critically important that everyone um, understands what has to happen when we give the data to someone. It's a not so bright line that we face when we go to the attorney general or we go to the FBI or we go to really any law enforcement to know sort of when is enough enough. In this particular case, the Supreme Court helped us clarify that. Um, if we go to them with a name um, or with a, you know, where we think this person lives or whatever, um, it's, it's, likely not actionable by law enforcement, according to the United States Supreme Court. What they have to do is they have to take our information from us, open an investigation, go to the court and ask the court for an administrative subpoena to get T-Mobile or AT&T or whomever to unmask that individual. This is also the reason, if any of you saw the movie, that that we said that the, the, you may recall a discussion that Catherine and I had with Dinesh about whether or not January 6th could have happened the way that it, the way that they claimed that it did. So on a Tuesday, the event happens Tuesday afternoon, 
By Wednesday, they had already identified who all of the people were. By Thursday, they had already unmasked all, all of them, or I'm sorry, gone to the court, unmasked all of them, and then gone back and to, the, to the grand jury to issue their first arrest warrants by Friday. It's, it's just not possible. They were tracking these people, some tracking these people, going probably back into October or early November. It's, it, it's simply not possible to go from zero to, to arrests in three days with this information, especially when you're only using Google information. So, so it, it, we, we bring that up because we've been stung a few times, and including today, um, relative to this topic. We can give this information, the broad information, the signals that we have, it's questionable whether we can share even our assumptions about them. Um, for instance, we know, you know, if we've got their pattern of life. We've got all their signals. I can tell you where people work, where they sleep, who they sleep next to. I mean, we have a lot of information about these folks, but it's irrelevant to law enforcement in seeking to exploit this data and use this data for um, uh, for law enforcement purposes. I'm going to skip over on, on something here. It's one of the reasons we are super excited. Catherine and I are working with Sheriff Lamb and, and other sheriffs around the country to help try to create a, a framework upon which we can work together so that when citizens do come up with this information and one of you guys sends us a video or one of y'all sends us some other information, we can go match it up with some of this and then get it to the appropriate uh, sheriff in the appropriate manner at the appropriate time. So we're, we're working on it, but it's, it's an exciting time for us. Speaking of video, um, while we were working through the, the, the development of patterns of life relative to the geospatial data, we were also filing open records requests for surveillance video. And it was on, let me get my date correct here. It was on March 17th, 2021, that we first submitted an open records request in Maricopa County for video. Uh, we didn't actually start out doing, uh, uh, looking at Yuma County with the geospatial data until a little bit later. So um, where we stand with Yuma County right now is uh, that there is no video. Uh, unfortunate fact is that all video and all election artifacts in federal elections are to be kept for 22 months. And so uh, that seems to be in violation of what federal standards would, uh, would require. But this is uh, what the Maricopa surveillance video looked like. And, and I want to stress, this is everything we received. One box, yes. and here's what it looks like. As sophisticated as we are in the artificial intelligence that we use for video review, that box is behind that tent. And you see where the video is. And Aaron, just a minute, you'll see the person walk back and somebody else walk up. It, we got video for this box in Maricopa County. The bad news is for those voters, or for if, if one of them happens to be a mule and they have their phone in their pocket, we're, we can still watch them. In places where we have video, um, however, it, it can be 
a little more of a silver bullet. So if we can advance a case to law enforcement that includes the pings, that includes or the signals, that includes the pattern of life, but also includes some video that helps corroborate it, and then you could show that video matched with it, that that is super important. Uh, just as a, a sort of a point of personal privilege, if if I could just urge the members to consider, even if you don't ban drop boxes, ban this. Stop that. It's not okay to let this happen. It's 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 an affront to freedom. It's an affront to every single voter in this room. And if we don't do it. If we don't do anything to stop this, then, you know, I think to an extent, you know, we will have failed in our mission to help educate you guys. Look, you know, if I had my way, look, I say get rid of all the drop boxes, no more mail in, everybody show up on election day, give everybody a holiday, put it all on paper and give it to somebody with two poll workers there to accept it, look at it and move on. But. I know that's I know that that's that's tough and there's a lot of political decisions, but one that's not tough is this. That's not hard. That's what we have in one box. Imagine what was happening at all the rest of the boxes in Maricopa. We have no idea. You know why? We don't have the video. There are so many more details that we could share. Um, patterns of life that show a little interesting bit of trivia that two of the mules in Maricopa County um, went and participated in the Georgia runoff and were mules there in Georgia in January or in December. Um, there are elements of what we learned in, in, in Yuma County that are currently under investigation that based on what we have seen in law enforcement that we have been working with for some time now suggest a a vertical grift is the best word I can, can use to describe it, that is layers and layers deep, not just here in Arizona, but across the country, a network of organizations that seem to follow a very similar uh, pattern. Those things are going to be investigated and will come up in due time. But for today's purpose, what can legislators do about what we saw and what we what we feel like is 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 being exploited? And and I want to say, the exploitation targets the most vulnerable communities, and it is voter abuse. So make no mistake, this is not about Republican or Democrat. This is about preserving the sanctity of the vote and making sure that it is safe and secure and transparent for every voter. So make good laws and be a model. Number one, we recommend really taking a deep look at the, at the, the accuracy of your voter rolls and committing to clean those rolls. We suggest using real-time technology. There is no reason in the world, private industry, all day, every day, can resolve identity, residency, and citizenship in real time. That is something that we should aspire to. There is no state doing that currently, but we as a country are lagging behind the rest of the world in election security and technology. 
this technology exists and we should embrace it so that it is more convenient and more accurate for all voters. Number two, stop the mass mail out of ballots, particularly when you are catalyzing those mail outs with dirty voter rolls. It's just a recipe for disaster. Number three, stop using the drop boxes or secure them with real-time video surveillance. Real-time, real-time. A little side, a little sidebar here, you know, we're working in a number of jurisdictions. So one of those jurisdictions is uh, Green Bay, Wisconsin, which is Brown County. And so we, we've only, uh, I guess, like just a couple of months ago, we added them into our research and we submitted open records requests for the video. And we've, you know, all the video, almost, almost to, a, to a fault, has been this push and pull to try to get it. Um, we just, on Friday, were notified by Brown County that they, they received our check, because you have to pay for it. They received our check and they will send it to us as soon as they watch it. So a little late, a little late to stop anything, but, um, but this gets to the point, right? If you're going to do this, then, then add real-time video surveillance to make sure that, that the laws are being followed. And the last point, and, and Arizona does a good job of this, but, but it is worthy of, of restating. Make the penalty for cheating something that cheaters fear. Listen, most, most people, what we are talking about here and, and what, we are, what we are working to um, address goes to the heart of voter education. It goes to the heart of, of election process. And make no mistake, the vast majority of all voters just want to do the right thing they don't they're not they don't want to be caught up in some web of confusion but if we keep introducing new variables with unclear laws you can easily find yourself in a position that you don't want to be in so there needs to be a balance of education around the process and then a, a level of security that's reasonable that balances private private access and private choice to and then state sovereignty, frankly, to, to security. We have to find that balance. And we are at a point now where, particularly after COVID, so many laws were passed. And I'll be the first one to tell you, when, when, when those laws were, they weren't, many of them weren't even passed. They just kind of happened. And the thought was at that time, because True the Vote was suing a number of states, trying to prevent the unconstitutional changes in your election process. And the thought was, don't worry. Those, those standards that have been introduced just for COVID, they're just for COVID. They'll go, it'll all go back to normal. No, it hasn't. No, it hasn't. And now we are facing a process that has fewer checks and balances than ever. So our hope in this presentation to all of you, and we'd love to entertain any questions that you may have, is, is that the data that we can provide and that we will be working with your attorneys general on and, and other levels of law enforcement will help to clarify, yes, the, the, the criminality uh, around that, 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 it, that has to be investigated. But certainly what you can see is that 
drop boxes particularly, and we know that that's recently been a bill that, that didn't pass here, um, you got to address that. You got to address that because it's it's being abused in a way that echoes back all the way back to where we started in Yuma County, Yuma County, where where the heartbreaking story was shared of a woman who just doesn't even believe that her vote matters, that anybody cares. And we know that you do. In 1994, uh, I was involved in a, a situation in uh, Montgomery, Alabama. Uh, a guy was running for chief justice of the Alabama Supreme Court. He happened to be my political mentor and one of my best friends' dad. And we had deeply embroiled in this. It, every single piece of this case that ultimately came down from the United States Supreme Court is relevant to everything that y'all will consider and everything that you think about or maybe could consider thinking about as you as you debate and deliberate over these these next coming set of bills. Judge Hooper went to bed that night thinking he had won by 15,000 votes. The next morning, all of a sudden, a whole bunch more votes showed up. It's no surprise. I've worked in Alabama since I was a kid and and, um, you know, 15,000 votes showing up in Selma, Alabama was, you know, not a super big surprise to anyone. Uh, it was to Judge Hooper. So he sued, and he sued to prevent them from counting certain votes. And the issue was that these mail-in ballots, or then there were absentee ballots, if you will, um, didn't have dates on them. Some had signatures, some didn't. But the primary concern about these votes was the matter of fact that that the law compelled these ballots or these these envelopes to be both signed and dated. This is a this is settled law. Judge Hooper believes strongly in the rule of law, and decided I'm just going to fight this out, and he did. Nine months later, the United States Supreme Court ruled in his favor on two key points. The first one was there's no such thing as substantial compliance. It's a it's a flawed doctrine that is made up by people who don't want to follow the rules. And the Supreme Court also said, and this is, I think, something for you all to consider as as you're um, moving forward is the Supreme Court said, whatever the law is on the day of the election, whatever the law is, that's what prevails. If the law says you have to have signature and date, you got to have signature and date. The rest of them don't count, period. This is, as I said, this is settled law. So I urge you to consider not only that when the other side starts pushing around, you know, I know you've thankfully fix the consent decree uh, issue and congratulations to all of you. That was huge. Um, but when I think when I came here in December, I met with a few of you guys were, were in the room and, and um, the consent decrees that the four of them that were out there were a little bit, maybe not everybody knew everything about them, but you did the right thing and you stopped that. If, if in your laws that are currently on the books, and in anything that you deliberate on pass and is signed by the governor into law, and you're not 100% certain that you want that to be the law on election day, 
don't pass it. Or if there's something in there that you, you don't like, we're, we're dealing with a situation in another state right now where to be an assist store, you have to sign the envelope. In other words, to take someone else's envelope or ballot to the polls and put it in that drop box, you, you and the voter both have to sign. That's the law. But this, actually, there's more than one, but many states, yeah, if it's your family, you can take your spouses, but that's not what the law says. And the Supreme Court made it very clear that whatever the law says is what prevails. And so we urge you to consider that in your deliberations on important matters. Um, but we also, as Catherine said, I mean, there's some, there's some real have-tos. You, you, we, we have to fix the surveillance problem of these boxes if you keep them. I, I urge you, based on everything I know, I've probably seen more video of drop boxes than any person on the earth. <laughs> and, and they are a problem. It's not sustainable from a free, fair, and legal election perspective. You have to make that change. I think the operative word that we saw across 2020, um, despite the continued refrain that it was the safest and most secure election ever, in fact, in our opinion, it was quite the opposite. Lawlessness seemed to rule the day. We must commit, all of us, to now being engaged in the process for the betterment of the process. Yes, continuing to vote, clearly, but also to help to support your legislature, legislators to, to work in community, to reach out to the party or candidate of your choice and ask how you can be involved in elections. Be a part of the solution. We must find our way back. We must find our way back to the sanctity of the vote that unites us as Americans. We can find our way back. We have to find our way back. So we thank you all for your time and we welcome any questions. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, since the House members are guests of the Senate, we're actually going to defer to the Senate first. Uh, and Sina Kerr, could you uh, please ask your first question? Sure. Thank you. I don't know why these aren't. Is that better? Thank you so much, Kathy and Greg, for your great presentation, for the incredible amount of work you've done on this. Just a couple of uh, quick questions. In the geofencing that you talked about, are you able, when the drop boxes are in a building, are you able to uh, put that fence around those uh, drop boxes that are in a building? Yes, and we can tell you what floor it's on. Okay, very good. Wanted to know that type of uh, technology and precision, you know, that that is available. Yes, ma'am. I just also wanted to mention, I was on a legislative trip in Denver. A member had their truck stolen out of the parking lot where we were, and he was able to direct law enforcement to his stolen truck mm -hmm. through his uh, ear pods or whatever they're called because of the Bluetooth. Uh, signal that was emitting. And so took him right there. He says, there's my truck, you know, and uh, it, within a matter of moments, they were able to recover his truck. So um, just a quick story about uh, how I think precise it's like, that I think it's like is. magic to the Washington Post. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Okay. So really that was my, those were my, my only question and my comment, but thank you again. Yes, Thank you. Well, thank you. I, I, I just really want to thank you for uh, providing some hope. Um, I think this is incredible. Um, what you what you've done in in presenting this information and uh, um, the uh, the explanation I think will go a long way to educating the public. We that's our biggest challenge. We have lost a lot of hope um, because we haven't been successful in shoring up our laws this session. And we're I know many of us on this day as are extremely uh, frustrated by that fact. Um, and so it's it's just very encouraging to know what's being done, what needs to be done, and the encouragement that you brought today to help us all share the news on what is possible, what to expect when you are uh, interacting with people that are really wanting to serve in the legislature. And I, I think... Um, educating one another as voter to voter on what's important to sustain a free society. So I just want to thank you for being here and being a part. Thank you, Shauna, for, uh, for the invitation. Thanks. Well, that was extensive. Thank you so much for everything you're doing. And I remember you uh, during the Barack Obama administration, Catherine, and, and you had been targeted and you had been uh, harassed and an audit. You, I think you had to go through an audit and all that. And I'm, <laughs> one of the things I'm curious about is, uh, are you receiving more of the same? So that's one of my questions. My second question is, are you able to disclose which nonprofit organizations we're talking about here? So I'll take the second one. Okay. <laughs> Hands up. I'll take the second one first. Okay. Um, and, and Greg referenced this earlier it's, it's, I mean, should be apparent to everybody in the room. When you have the level of accuracy that we do, you can, you can assess what address you're talking about and what organization is at that address. Um, we would love to put that list out and let the chips fall where they may. But, but there's a but. The but is, we also need law enforcement to be able to do their jobs. And we cannot get ahead of that. We just can't. This is too important. And, and we, we, have, we have labored um, to the best of our ability to make every step as correctly as we can. And so while there would be a definite feel-good moment to put that out, um, we have a higher obligation. All of us do. So that's, so that's, to, that's that. To that point, to that point, um, I think, and I have been calling for this since November 14th of uh, 2020, that uh, anybody watching this that is part of that operation, um, become a whistleblower. Become a whistleblower now. Um, sooner rather than later. And it sounds like you guys are, are on the trail and you're not letting up. So anybody out there, I think now's the time to come forward. Uh, those who have come forward already, thank you.
Yes. And, uh, you know, and, and let's see more of that. And, okay. and, and I'll, uh, Senator Townsend, we are seeing more of that. We are Good. having more people come forward and that is a, a great thing. Um, so that that's reason for great encouragement. Um, to your question about uh, targeting, um, that was a harrowing time uh, in my world. Uh, for two years, 23 different audits or investigations from five government agencies. It was a lot. Um, it always begged the question because I uh, just just very quickly to, to, for those of you that may not know the story. Um, before I started True the Vote, there was no. Uh, I filed taxes, and you know that was it. Um, no audits, no investigations. Um, post starting True the Vote is when the onslaught began, and it always made me question: What could we be so close to that the full weight of the federal government? was being turned against our organization. And I mean to tell you, we are moving forward. We have been steeled. I have been steeled by that experience because I want my children and my children's children to be able to vote in a country where the vote matters. So, so where we are right now, I will say, we find ourselves ever closer to um, difficult times. Senator, I uh, just for everybody in here, it, it's a, a I'm completely blessed by getting to work with my hero every day. <laughs> Very good, and uh, Very she's good. amazing and a true warrior, amazing person. Senator, I think you and I actually may have talked either that day or, or uh, a few days before that. If I could just add one, one quick point that we don't have on our list, uh, really important. You and I talked about it that day, and, and we continue to talk about it today. I think in every one of our states, um, there were commonalities. You've heard me talk about the drop boxes and all the different things, but there was another commonality between them, and that was related to the 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 inability to adequately define a, an identity or adequately, adequately resolve an identity. Remember we were talking about Maricopa at the time and, and, um, you know, I looked at the file and the first thing I look at is, is date of birth and here in Arizona, as in Georgia, as in Wisconsin, as in Michigan, as in Pennsylvania, every single state we work in, we looked at, has that as a commonality, only the year of birth. Catherine and I own a healthcare technology company, and one of the things that we do, she mentioned identity, residency, and citizenship. We define those in real time, and we resolve those in real time in our app. When presented with only the, the year of birth, in identity resolution, it's a, it's a statistical model, really, that you're creating, and by eliminating day and month, you introduce an element of risk into the case. It's not that it's like my, my uh, first name is spelled with two G's or two G's at the end. And the, the risk comes in. What if, what if somebody thought it was me and it was Greg with one G? It probably is, right? But if you go and look at my year of birth and it only has the year, you can't solve the risk on the other side of the equation. And so solving risk and identity is critical. 
one of we've seen it over and over and over again the courts ruled on it and dismissed these cases over and over and over again when when if i was called to the stand and say can you definitively say that representative bullock is who she says she is most of the way but there's an element of risk and if i don't have her full date of birth that risk grows this much and it's important for the for the it's important for the integrity of these elections that that the state that researchers and everyone else has the ability to resolve identity and and in this case that 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 can't be done in arizona if i may i want to just revert back real quick to your your question about targeting uh, and whistleblowers coming forward. Um, I made mention that we've had many whistleblowers come forward. Um, for all of you in this room and for all of you listening, um, we commit that if you come forward as a whistleblower, we will protect your identity to our last breath. We need to create an environment where people can come forward and talk about what is really going on, because I assure you, and if those of you that have seen the movie, and you may recall the woman in shadow, she is from Yuma County. And she talks about what, it, what risk there is in coming forward. Now, we have it on uh, good authority that the New York Times is about to uh, write a story that she was an actor. She's not an actor. She's scared to death. And she's already talked to your attorney general and she's already a part of the case. But the stories are real and we have to create a safe space for people to be able to come forward. That's a way to solve the problem that we now find ourselves in. So I just want to stress that because um, oftentimes we find that we take this forward, we take the information forward and suddenly we become the target. Like today? <laughs> well, <laughs> um, we can take a lot of arrows. We will willingly stand up for that. But we will protect the people that come forward to us with every fiber of our being. Thank you. Let me, let me, um, let me just add one more thing. Uh, Greg, you mentioned about date of birth. And, and that issue. I just want to use this time to very quickly recognize someone in the audience who's done an amazing job um, crunching numbers and looking at data. The question is, where are they getting these ballots in the first place? If this is happening, where are they getting the ballots? And very curious uh, work that, uh, Chris, if, if you'll stand up. This is Chris Hansel. You may know him. He worked the audit. And, and I don't have a ton of time, Chris, but I'll just say he, he looked at duplicates and we crunched or he crunched it down to see that on the last day that people can register to vote, they pile tons of these registrations and the county recorders have a hard time yes. going and finding the duplicates, but they have the same exact same name, middle name, year of birth, all of that same address. And yet uh, the new registration that gets their own voter ID cast a ballot, but the old one didn't. And then after the election, the new person drops off and goes away. So he has done an amazing job looking at that and seeing source of uh, a problem 
one of the fixes to that is funding the recorders so that they have people to go through and process all of those um, duplicates to get them out of there before they even receive a ballot. So thank you, Chris. I just wanted to acknowledge you for doing that. Absolutely. Okay, and then Senator Kerr, you had another question. The C Report and all the shows on this podcast channel are 100% listener supported. We don't have corporate sponsors. We don't have independent sponsors. Our sponsors are you, the listener. So if you like the work we do and like what we have to say and contribute to the world of news and information and entertainment, please show us your support. Make a monthly donation to help sustain future episodes at anchor.fm slash the C report. Your support is greatly appreciated. From 99 cents per month to 4.99 per month to 9.99 per month. Every donation counts and every bit helps. Show your support for the C report and other shows on this podcast channel by visiting anchor.fm slash the sea report and thanks y'all yes thank you senator townsend just really briefly Catherine, on your point about law enforcement getting involved and taking that information uh, doing the investigations i wanted to thank our yuma county sheriff working with our yuma county recorder they're investigating 16 cases still from the 2020 election now a new pattern of fraudulent voter registration forms for the 2022 election is already emerging they're on it they're watching this they're encouraging the voters to not turn their registration back into an individual take it drop it off themselves to the county recorder, register online, but be incredibly vigilant and because they're, it, it's already happening. We have video in our phone from today that's been sent to us by a person that was videoing folks doing exactly just, that. Just exactly that. Okay. I think so. Uh, Representative Wynn. Um, Have you actually given the data to our AG? And if you did so, did they respond to you at all? <laughs> it, it just well, looks uh, like well, Let me just say what, what really happened. <laughs> what uh, Almost exactly a year ago, a year ago tomorrow, I think maybe, um, I had a meeting. I personally had a meeting with three of the Attorney General's people. There seems to be a bit of controversy amongst us that uh, we just received a letter today, in fact, saying that they don't have it because I never gave it to them. So um, we'll work to resolve that. Um, but we've we've met with them on other occasions. Um, they've worked with Gary and, and some of the folks in uh, in Yuma County um, to, uh, to to do this better. I don't want to get into a you know, a verbal fist fight about whether I gave them the disc or not. I'm pretty sure I did. They're pretty sure I didn't. They'll they'll get another copy of it. Uh, Madam Chair, may I? Um, would you do us a favor today by uh, putting together another package and hand it over, have a conversation, uh, make it official so that we know you're actually 
you actually did it. So we don't have the she said, he said kind of deal. We're scheduled to meet with them tomorrow morning. Great. And I would love to get a text back that says you actually hand it over because I'll, I'll make my contact. If with, with one exception, uh, I, I would agree. Um, given that we've had this little problem here, um, we have already given this data to the FBI. We are contacts at the FBI and they work to obviously work together and handing off data and that kind of thing. Um, we will, um, we're obligated to follow back up on that and be sure that, that they would rather, if they want to give it to the AG, then we're going to allow them to give it to the AG. So if the answer is probably, but if it's not, it will come to them regular way. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Thanks for all the work you guys have done on this. And um, being from Yuma County, you know, we've been battling this for decades. You know, we, we know South County, where, where Gary and Mr. Lar, you know, uncovered some of the videos in the in the primary. Remind you guys, it's the original video that you, the ladies talking about was in the the primary in 2020, and it was all about corruption in in San Luis and skewing a city council election and that kind of stuff. So this has been going going that you can't have free and fair elections in the South County for for decades, <clears throat> and it's spreading across the country. And we've seen that we've seen this massive, you know, thing going on. So um, I guess my one, one of the questions I have is trying to figure out, and I know I think you said we have to go to the NGOs five times, but, you know, we do have the, the election workers and the election volunteers that are going and collecting those ballots during the time as we cross-check to make sure that the actual employees are not part of the, you know, not, not saying that they're part of the problem as far as ballot stuffing, but they're actually picking up the ballots going to those things daily, you know. So is that we cross-check those, those off the list? Yes, sir. We, when we build the pattern of life, we look at the four or five places that they most frequent because we want to be able to define their workplace or their home or wherever, wherever they are. And uh, so w without unmasking them, it's a little, you know, it's not perfect, but we can come pretty close. I mean, if, if they're heading down to the county office after they do their rounds, then, then we would exclude, that would be an exclusionary. Well, I, I do know the data works because I did have to find my iPhone when it fell out of a plane and when we were crop testing and I went and found it right to exactly where it was at. So the data system does work. So I'll wait. I don't have any more questions. I have a comment when we finish. I, I did want to make a comment based on on your comment, Representative Dunn, um, because it occurred to me when when you mentioned Gary and David that we have not mentioned uh, Gary and David. Gary Snyder and David Lara from Yuma County have been heroes in moving forward with all of this information. <clears throat> from, the, from the first moment that we talked with David, we, we began to go through this journey together. And it's been since October of 2020, but you guys have been fighting it much longer and, and it is a privilege and an honor to stand shoulder to shoulder with you on this front. Thanks for coming. I got to tell you, that was some great information. Um, it's some great information. My question, uh, we have a bill uh, that uh, one of our representatives wrote, and it's sitting over here in the Senate, HB 2289. Would that bill based on your recommendations, fix some of these problems that we are seeing. 
I just want to make absolutely sure that's the the Dropbox bill. Yes. Okay. It 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 well it's there's some it's one day one vote um, uh, paper ballots. Um, it it it's a, it's a bill that would make our elections more secure. It hits some of the points that you all were referring to today. Um, and, and I'm sure that that could be added in through an amendment. So based on your familiarity of the bill, yes, is that a, is that a path forward to protect our elections? Yes, we, yes, yes, yes. I wanted to make sure I had my numbers straight. We're seeing a lot of numbers these days, but yes, yes, it's, it's a very well-drawn bill, and we think that it would uh, absolutely be a huge, uh, huge advantage to, to the overall process. And Madam Chair, just really quickly, uh, uh, as members, after seeing this, I think we need to move forward with uh, 2289. So we do know that the election officials colluded with the judiciary in 2020. I remember writing an op-ed that actually got published in the local Arizona Republic saying that I don't want us to move to an all mail-in ballot election. We were not here at the Capitol. We had been shut out. We were told to vote on a baseline budget and go home. And I remember when I served on the House Elections Committee my first two years with now Senator Townsend, we were really focused on these mail-in ballots and trying to figure out ways to make them more secure. We had done a tour with then recorder Adrian Fontes, who showed us a lot of different things and told us things that just didn't add up at the end of the day. Uh, but under the, guise of uh, under the guise of COVID, obviously we saw our election procedures changed, whether it's here in Arizona, um, whether it was in Pennsylvania and the judges allowed them to continue to count the ballots after the fact of the election. As you may know, we've had a lot of election integrity bills that have come from the House. They die in the Senate for some reason. Uh, between the House and Senate, we sponsored over 100 election integrity bills just in Arizona. And I am told that the entire country, there are 300. So we're doing our fair share of trying to push back to make sure that these elections are secure. With the information that you provided to us, and some folks in this room know that I have driven by drop boxes in different counties and taken pictures and even done videos at this point. Uh, we had a bill over here that unfortunately died last week. And I am wondering if there is a way for you to pre present to us or hand over some information to us to try to get those two individuals to either uh, vote to ban the drop boxes or make sure that we have real-time video surveillance on all these drop boxes. Obviously, you have, what, millions of hours of video footage that you've been able to obtain from different places we are making sure we want to make sure that we are leaving our mark uh, to approach at least number three. Uh, I, I, I believe that's a real problem here in Arizona. We um, had a deal with bad actors who wanted to uh, mail out a ballot, obviously, to every registered voter. As you may know, we had same day voter registration for a short time, and then they were flooding unsolicited early ballot applications to eligible voters uh, across Arizona. We were under siege during COVID as you know, other states were as well. And, you know, we have election officials and, um, you know, I've done my share of public record requests 
as you guys know, we banned Zuckbucks last year. That was one of the best things that we did last year. I could go through all the amount of money that was spent in Arizona. It was about $9 million. Um, you know, Secretary of, State's, St Secretary of State's office, she spent about $5 million. Uh, Maricopa County spent $1.9. Pima County spent $1.8. And some of these were funding the drop boxes. And I know because I actually got some county, I actually got some county recorders to fulfill my public record request on my own dime. And I, I believe that's one of the biggest problems that we have out there. And we had these pop-up drive-through uh, voting areas as well in Maricopa County. And they were kind of being funded with the drop boxes. I mean, thankfully in Arizona, we weren't having all night drive-throughs like Houston County was having. Uh, but still, that was an area that I saw that maybe that needed to be at least clamped down just a little bit. So, you know, our election officials, they do carry a heavy responsibility to ensure and trust that our votes are being counted. I want to make sure that this panel today, we work with our other state legislators here uh, in the time being that we're still in session to make sure that we are working on restoring our trust in the election infrastructure, which goes back to these drop boxes and real-time video surveillance, or obviously banning them, because we want to make sure that we have a constitutional republic at the end of the day. I feel like right now we don't have one, and a secure electoral process is absolutely vital to our national security, as Mr. Phillips has alluded to me with everything that he has presented to us today. If you were a sitting legislator, what area would you focus on the most? I would get that bill passed. Yeah. We're going to now have just a brief few moments for closing comments. And of course, we're going to start with the Senate and work our way back to the House. Again, I just wanted to reiterate my gratitude for your tremendous years of work that you have done uh, with the election integrity. And this isn't new work to you. You've been doing it for a long time. Thank you so much for your commitment um, to make sure that, that we know what's going on, um, the good and the bad with our elections. So thank you again. Keep up the great work. It's just been an honor to be here today. And, um, you know, the, elect the electorate has put a lot of, a lot of trust in us. And it's very humbling. It's humbling yes. to know that uh, they expect us to do our job. And how at risk our elections are right now is very scary. You know, we have to acknowledge the fear of the electorate right now because for years, for decades, decades upon decades, we've had confidence in our elections because we had confidence in the people that counted the ballots and we no longer have that. So I just want to thank you again. I want to thank everyone here. Thank everyone for who's come out and reported things along the way and made people listen. Because, you know, you're making a difference. You're making a real difference. And we are going to get a handle on this. 
And the Lord's going to help us as we trust him, as we work. So I just want to thank you for, for the opportunity to be here today with my colleagues and for your very difficult work and for taking this, the slings and arrows along the way. God bless you. Um, I want to thank you for being here. It's, it's, it's amazing, especially after watching the 2000 Mules uh, movie, sort of opened my eyes up and sort of confirmed the things that I suspected. Um, the only thing that I like to see coming out of this meeting is people going to jail because... <laughs> Until until people go to jail, I'm afraid this may not change at all. And um, just so you know, I came from 12,000 miles away where we never had any election integrity. The same guy was the president since I was six years old until the end of the war. And so I, um, I always thought this is, it is the greatest country in the world by far. But but we are devolving to something that I don't recognize. I mean, I came in 75, and this is not the same country that was introduced to me in 75. And so um, that's the reason why I was asking you about the AG situation, because I, I just like to see people cuffed. That's yes, all. Sir. Thank you. Yes, I want to thank through the boat for doing all the work you've done. I want to thank everybody in this room for being here and everybody that's watching online. Um, you know, we've done a lot. We started the election integrity unit a few years ago. We were able to hit the ground running with that unit, being able to, you know, there will be more prosecutions. There's more, more investigations going on in multiple counties. So, you know, stay tuned and you can read the Phoenix paper today about the NGO that was publicized today from Yuma. Um, and, you know, I hope we can pass some of these bills that we're talking about. And if we can't, the county recorder is watching. You can do some of these things that's in these bills on the recording on, on your own on the drop boxes. You know, we don't have to open the drop boxes the day we send out ballots. You know, we can take if you're going to if we're going to use drop boxes, we can wait till when we tell them don't put them in the mail anymore. Put them up for. Listen, I said, if we can't get the bills passed, you can have the drop boxes open for five days and you can put uh, rent cops 24 seven at the drop boxes. You can do things if we can't get the bills passed. Because we we have we have a way of, of getting there. Guys, come on, come on, please do not interact. Let him so, let him speak. So, um, but, but we have time to get some of these bills passed, and I and I'm, we're committed to doing that if we can. But um, uh, thank you again for being here. Yes, sir. I want to thank you all for being here, and I want to thank uh, the Senate members for allowing the uh, daycare to come over and participate with y'all. Speak for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Really want to thank Representative Bullock, who has been uh, actually a leader in this and leading the way, uh, not only here down at the House, at the Capitol, but in the state. And I do appreciate your hard work and appreciate you all being here. You know, I spent a lifetime defending our republic um, in the armed forces um, just so uh, Americans could vote. Uh, the first election in Iraq that I was able to observe, I was sitting on my tank and this old man, I was walking in front of my tank because we were guarding the election places. And I jumped down off my tank and I said, where are you going? And in his broken English in Iraq, he says, I'm going to vote for the first time. 
That's a humbling experience when you come from a country that takes it for granted. You know, leadership means getting someone to do something that they wouldn't normally do under normal circumstances. That's leadership. And as members, we have a moral obligation to do the right thing before we get out of session so that we can have the same type of republic and the votes that are counted that should be counted, not only in our state but in our country. A lot of years I was not able to vote because I was overseas. And I said as soon as I retired out of the military that that was going to be the first thing I did. I retired in 2016 and I voted that year. But that vote may have not even counted. So after defending this country, I am going to take up a moral obligation to hold the members, my members and peers accountable for what we do for the rest of the time we're in session to get legislation passed to protect our elections. Thank you. First thing that I want to mention is uh, I have been praying for your safety. That God would watch over you and, and protect you because the, the country is so divided right now. And what you're doing is dangerous to some. They don't want you doing that. So uh, I'm glad that we have uh, security for you here today and you're in good hands, but may God watch over you as you go out and continue to, to work on this. So thank you so much. For <laughs> One of the things that I would love to do is compare the work that uh, Senator Sonny Borelli has done on the chain of custody forms. He requested those um, for the ballot drop boxes and got back some information that was very concerning that there was forms that weren't filled out. There was no numbers there. I'd like to see if those forms correspond to the dates that you have these mules going from place to place. I want to see if there's any pattern there. Uh, you know, so I would recommend you guys do that. Uh, if you haven't already, um, I wasn't going to say anything about that because I was afraid things might disappear, but we already have those forms and you already have your information. So I think it's safe to say that these things are going to start coming together and all the more reason for you whistleblowers to think long and hard about what you're going to be doing next. Um, it's time to come forward and save yourselves a, a little bit of grief uh, coming forward sooner rather than later. We have a lot of problems that remain, a lot of problems that remain. Um, we have short numbers here where we can't get some of this stuff passed. Election security bills. I mean, you wouldn't believe what we had to do when I, I wanted the election integrity unit at the AG's office and, and the, the political gymnastics we had to do to get that. <clears throat> it shouldn't be this way. It should not be this way. We should have cooperation from our caucus and from the Democrats because we, we've got, uh, where's John Brakey? Where's John Brakey in the room? Is he here? Did he leave? He's a Democrat. He's been working on election integrity uh, for a long time. And there was a time when Democrats seemed to care about election integrity. And I would ask for them to come back to the table and let's tighten this up. But, you know, we have some blue drop boxes all over the state, mm -hmm. don't we? Positioned right outside uh, post offices. 
that you could just plop stuff right in there, you know, and I, I had a bill to remove mail in using the post office and it got nowhere. <laughs> I'm hoping that we have a long, hard look at what we've allowed uh, in the name of convenience. Um, we have completely decimated the trust in our election system. We need to restore voter confidence, don't we? We have not much in, in the way of change when it comes to Dominion machines. We have still have the ability for them to share passwords, for them to share login information. The most simple bill, we couldn't get that passed down here. Just to say you have to have a unique login and a unique password, and that somehow was problematic for one of our senators, and we couldn't get that passed. I asked him, I'm like, all you people up on the board that are in red on this bill, I want you to write down your password, and I want you to write down your login and come and leave it on my desk if it's not a big deal. And that didn't happen at all. <laughs> we had a gentleman, and I'm sorry, I can't remember his name, came and testified at our committee. If someone remembers it, shout it out. Um, doing the UOCAVA votes. Remember, Sonny? Where they just take a picture. of it and we had an increase of 90% of UOCAVA votes and 90% of those UOCAVA vote increase were for one candidate um, you know to the tune of I want to say how many 9600 increase 1600 to 9600 increase you know that needs to be changed we have uh, Dr. Shiva came up with the, the signature issue Right? We still have that unresolved. We've got so many outstanding problems. Most of it uh, we could have fixed. So elections have consequences, don't they? And uh, hopefully we will gain seats here in the, uh, in the legislature so that we can get some of this stuff done. But the sad part is, and if you heard on James T. this morning, the sad news is we got a primary coming up that's going to have basically the same laws as the 2020 election. And that's not acceptable. I have been so pleased to hear of all you vigilantes out there that want to camp out at these drop boxes, right? So do it. Do it. We put the word out today that if you're going to come and be like a mule and, and stuff ballot boxes this time, you're going to get caught. So don't try it. We're going to be out there. We're going to have hidden trail cameras. We're going to have people parked out there watching you, and they're going to follow you to your car and get your license plate. It's going to happen. So don't try it. Don't try it anymore. And finally, we need the political will to prosecute. I'm tired of hearing, well, this is political. We don't want to touch this. I'm tired of it. If you're breaking the law, you need to go to jail. If you are an election official breaking the law, you also need to be held accountable. So I want to see indictments, right? What do we want? Indictments. When do we want them? Now. What do we want? Indictments. When do we want them? Now. We have been chanting that for a couple years now. It hasn't happened yet. Lock them up. I agree with... with <laughs> Representative Wynn. So thank you guys all. I, I can't tell you what it's like sitting here watching you. And uh, over this time that we've spent together, we almost feel like family at this point. And our family isn't going to put up with this anymore. 
are we? We're going to take care. Thank you. Thank you for everybody that has hung in there. I'm glad the air conditioning finally kicked in as well. Um, thank you for taking your time out of your busy, hectic schedule and coming here. And thank the, thankfully also to your, your security guys uh, who have been quite lovely. We had met with Mr. Phillips back in early December. Senator Townsend had invited a lot of us over to meet with you. And I actually brought my notes with me, even though I was only in that meeting for a short time. And what I tend to do when I'm taking notes in a meeting, I put an asterisk with a circle of things that I need to do. And one thing that I put down was um, look at the consent decrees and what can we do legislatively? What can we do about ballot harvesting? And we, I actually filed a bunch of election integrity bills, almost two dozen, I believe. Uh, not all of them, unfortunately, got heard. But... Some of them are moving through the process. I think one's still alive. Unfortunately, a lot of them gotten killed. But, um, you know, whenever we talk to individuals who are experts in the field, our ears are open. I had about 15 pages worth of potential election fixes after the November 20 election. I had worked with Alex Colladin, who has rejoined us in the back of the room. <laughs> we were looking at affidavits that were filed of things that happened across our state looking at ways to address some of these um, inaccuracies and, and fixes and holes in our gaping election laws. And unfortunately, some of the bills are too controversial to be heard in this place. And unfortunately, I had death threats as a, as a result, not to the extent of what you have had, but made sure that I had to put cameras up around my house. I was offered DPS. I said, that's okay. Three of us know how to shoot back. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> in my house. And everybody do, everybody at this point knows that I'm a strong Second Amendment supporter. Um, but in my opinion, one's vote should not ever be for sale. And protecting these individuals that want to come forward and making sure that we can shine a light and make sure that the process is as transparent as, pro as possible. A lot of my bills that I have filed were just bringing transparency to the process, digitizing ballot images after they had been uh, counted, or the electronically adjudicated ballots that were out there, they were going to be out there too, so anybody could potentially do an audit. It wasn't rocket science, it was just common sense solutions. And, you know, when these drop boxes started popping up all over the place, and I got to tell you, I've, I've read some poll, um, I follow the People's Pundit on Twitter. I'm going to give him a little shout out right, right now because he's been canceled many times. But he sends me a lot of the polling data. And people don't like the drop boxes. It's, it, doesn't, it doesn't rate very high, um, you know, all the way across the country. And I've got breakdowns exactly where it is. We also know that the courts did not work with us last time. They were not hearing cases. Obviously, they were um, rigging the laws not in the right direction, in my opinion. But at the end of the day, you know, one good thing that we did do last year, obviously, I'm going to just keep focusing on this. Private funds had never come into elections in the past. So putting a stop to that is one of the biggest things we potentially do. I highly believe, number one, on your list of what to do, cleaning up the voter rolls is one of the most important things that we can do. In Arizona on the November 2022 ballot, we have legal ID on all ballots. So other states already have this. Why don't we? Thankfully, the voters are going to decide. It pulls really well across all political spectrums. 2020 was rigged. It was financed by billionaires. There's no reason why this money should have ever come into the, any of these states. 
And I want to make sure and we want to make sure that these elections moving forward, especially in Arizona, are as secure as possible. And I welcome any information that you can give to us. I have the individual's name over in the AG's office who I can turn stuff over to to make sure um, if they somehow lose it tomorrow whenever you meet with them. That I'm happy to be back up at this point. So thank you so much for your work. Thank you for putting your lives on the line. It's extremely important. My number one issue has always been school choice. When I got elected in 2018, election integrity moved to the top, and I was very happy to serve on the House Elections Chair with now Senator Townsend. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. Did you guys, did you guys want final comments? Do you guys, do you guys want another minute? Or are you okay? If I could just add one thing, um, some of you asked me before the hearing uh, this weekend, I made some comments on a podcast. We do indeed have a matter brewing that is 10 times bigger than mules. Um, it'll be about six weeks before we can clear our way through it. But I assure you, it is the most explosive issue that you've ever come in contact with related to elections in the United States. Um, well, I'll just I'll just quickly say, uh, I know we've been here now quite some time together this afternoon. Thank you all for coming. Uh, thank you for this arrangement. Thank you for the, the discussion. Um, we're not quitting. You guys don't quit. God bless America. Thank you for everybody being here today. Okay, we're adjourned. Thanks, guys. <laughs>